five, the Terry Saul Show. Five, roll tape. Four, cue Terry. Three, bring audio up. Two, stand by. One, play intro. Stay tuned for the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. And welcome to the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. Amanda Smith joining us again this morning. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. Today is a, a special guest today. That uh, This is a young lady that I've met for the first time when she was three years old. Okay. And it wasn't a happy meeting. No. Um, her mm-hmm. name is Lori Poland. She's from Denver, Colorado. You're from Sheridan. Are you still in Sheridan? No, no. I'm in Golden. Mm-hmm. Golden over by the Coors Brewery. Yes, yeah, it's, just five minutes from there. There you go. Her name is Lori Poland, and if that name sounds familiar, uh, when she was three years old in 1984, um, she was kidnapped. Three. 83, that's right. 83, he he yeah, was sentenced yeah. in 84. Okay. In 83, she was kidnapped from right out in front of her house. And yeah. uh, Lori, tell us the story. What happened? Yeah, yeah. Hi, Terry, and hi, Amanda. Hello. Um, so, yeah, I was just a 36-month-old little blonde-haired, blue-eyed, chubby-cheeked girl. And on August 22nd, 1983, I was playing in my front yard, just as most every child did in the 80s, right? And um, my dad was at home with us for the day. He was painting our house. It was his birthday. And um, my mom had just come home for lunch. We all had lunch together. And then she left to go back to work. And my dad was inside grabbing my brother and I a popsicle. And while he was inside, this car drove up. Passenger door was already open, and the man inside asked if I liked candy. And like any sugar-loving three-year-old, we quickly negotiated that arrangement, and that meant that I would go with him. And within just truly a matter of seconds, I was in the car, and we were gone. And um, he then drove me about 20 miles west of Denver and, uh, or 20 minutes, excuse me, west of Denver. And he just found an old abandoned road right off the highway. And then he found an old abandoned outhouse that wasn't really frequented. After, you know, doing what pedophiles do, he uh, discarded me in the bottom of a 15-foot outhouse toilet and just left me there. And so Fast forward four days, the whole community and the city and everybody had been looking for me. The media got really involved with trying to help locate me. Um, they had a lot of leads, including him. You know, they had gone to his home and, and, and you know, inquired if uh, he had seen me and what have you. But um, nonetheless, bird watchers happened to be driving past to the outhouse that I was in, and they the wife had to use the facilities and the husband looked at it and said, no way, we'll keep, we'll find something else. We'll keep going. So they went down the road about another mile and then she asked him to turn back around and, and just kind of by fate they did. And while they were using the restroom, they heard a cry and eventually they looked down and they saw me and they asked what I was doing there. And I told them that I lived there. That's what happened. (laughs) Kind of a wild story. Wow. Amanda, where do we pick this up at? Yeah, I have. uh, That was touching. Um, I'm I'm so sorry you went through that. Do 
Do you recall any of it? You know, Amanda, I mean, for me, um, granted, so there's blessings and curses, right? The blessing is that I don't remember a lot of the actual trauma. I have a couple of, like, photographic memories. Mm -hmm. One of being in the hole, I had to go to the bathroom, and I had just gotten potty trained. And I um, was worried that I was going to upset my mom, that I wet myself Like, that just kind of speaks to that age, right, as just a pure little child. And then I had one other memory of being in the car with my abductor. But those are my only two cognitive memories. You know, there's a lot of work and studies and and research now done on how the body keeps the score. And so there's a lot of, obviously, like, we don't remember walking. We don't remember learning our ABCs and how to speak and all of those things, but we carry those into adulthood. So I know, unfortunately, that there's also a lot of um, subconscious memories that I have and, you know, trust issues, abandonment stuff. And, you know, when you have a little baby that goes through something like that and just such a severe attachment disruption, it can really kind of change the trajectory of the brain and the brain chemistry. So, yeah. Lori, you have children, right? You have children of your own? I have I have three children um, that are mine, and then between my partner and I, we have seven. And so um, we're. What do you not do in your spare time? <laughs> you know, I run a national organization to end child abuse. I'm a therapist. I just published a book two days ago. Yes. And, wow. um, you know, and I try and try and smile and have dance parties as often as I can. Yeah. So. so- <laughs> Go ahead. With you having children of your own, do you did yeah. you find yourself when they were younger at that around that age mm-hmm. that you were more protective or um, not as trusting, or do you think that affected yeah. you with your with how you were a mother in in some ways? Yeah, I mean, I just there there's nothing in the world that compared prepare you for parenthood, right? And, right. and so I, I, I mean, my everything changed when I became a mom. My ability to um, have like more of a comprehensive understanding of what my parents went through and what other parents went through, uh, go through, um, and really just like that protectiveness, like you said. Um, and then, yeah, when my oldest, so I have, I have two girls and a little boy, and when my oldest She's um, girl, girl, then boy. I was very intentional with both of my girls when they were right at that age. Um, I had worked a lot with my therapist at the time to prep for that and just, you know, like really make sure that I was attending to my own reaction and, and response. But then, you know, what was interesting was my son. When my son was that age, I had I had always I'd learned as an adult um, the story that my own abductor had been abused as a three-year-old little boy. And so when I had my son, I wasn't expecting to have such a strong reaction when he turned three, mm-hmm. but, you, I re- but I really did. It was um, the level of compassion that I had and, and I know a lot of people struggle with my level of compassion for my abductor. I've never really been super angry at him. I've never, obviously, I, I don't ever need to hang out with him. I don't ever need to talk to him or anything like that. But, you know, releasing that and turning it more into compassion has um, allowed me to do good things in the world. So I'm proud of it. 
Lori, did, at any point in your life, I mean, it's been, what, 37 years since this happened, but at, at yeah. any point in your life, have you ever wanted to talk to this guy? You know, what's interesting is as a, as a child, I really did, all the way up until I was 21. Um, and frequently, at least once a year, I would share that with my parents, starting around 11. And my parents were really great about finding somebody else for me to talk to. <laughs> and, and there's just been, I mean, you yourself, Terry, I would, you know, I would imagine that the listeners would love to hear your in, um, connection to the story. There's just so many people over the years, even just as, as short as six months ago, I, I met the two first responders. They were volunteer firefighters who showed up on scene. And they, what's really neat for me is that, and, and me in a, in a compassionate way, is that I recognized very, very early in my life that what happened to me is also the, the firsthand experience and story for so many people. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's their story, too, simply because they had their own connection to it and um, interaction with it. And so when I was growing up, my parents introduced me to one of the firefighters that came down in the hole to get me. And um, Dr. Krugman was one of the treating doctors that helped me right after my abduction. I met him and now I run a business with him. And um, so they were really great about kind of diverting my focus from wanting to meet my abductor into wanting to find the good in the story. And that really fueled really who I am now as an adult and how I kind of look at trauma and the way it impacts others. Your your mother, by the way, <laughs> is awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I met her that day and you know what? You just, she just, you just fall in love with her. She's just a, an awesome down to earth person. And she knew during the four days that you were gone, that you were alive and you were coming back. Mm-hmm. She knew that. Mm-hmm. And she said, she, it, she said it often to the media that, no, my daughter mm-hmm. is alive. She's coming back. Yeah. And she shares that story. I mean, even as, in terms of like within the hour before my abduction, she was she was like, I just need to go to church. And after four days of everybody, you know, kind of distracting from that, obviously, she went into a church and she prayed. And then within an hour, they got the call that I had been found. And my mom is a really strong, strong woman. And, yeah, both of my parents are incredibly down-to-earth people. And they just, everybody loves them upon meeting them. They are they're really wonderful people, especially considering that they were, my mom was, like, 23 or 24 when I got abducted I couldn't I don't even know like what my favorite food was at that age right like it's um I couldn't imagine what my parents went through at such a young age having something like that happen well not only not only uh having their their child abducted but then it turned into um a media frenzy the media, media was frenzy. everywhere i mean we at the radio at the uh, mm-hmm. police station they were camped out in our parking lot and they were there for days and and same with your house yeah. they were in front of your house for yeah. days just waiting for anything yeah. and everything um mm-hmm. let's get back yeah. to the abduction real quick on this this first segment then we're going to yeah. get away from it um yeah. you were you were there for four days yeah do you do you remember anything at all of being down in that that pit? You know, like I said, I think my only memory is just that one incident where I had to go to the bathroom. Right, 
Right. And otherwise, I really leaned into, um, you know, that that was that was where I was, you know, and kids don't have executive functioning skills, so they don't really have the concept of time. And so I don't. I didn't have that, but I certainly, I certainly recognize now the value of attachment and the value of um, secure, safe relationships sure. and how important that is. It's a, a big part of my work now, and um, it's a huge part of my parenting and making sure that my children feel securely attached and safe and protected, even when hard things happen. You know, I've got to kind of make up for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we have just a couple of minutes left on this first segment, and then um, I just want to finish up with what happened to your abductor. He was eventually caught. Um, he was mm-hmm. uh, tried, and he went to prison. He didn't stay in prison very long, though, did he? No, he didn't. No, he got um, 10 years. He was sentenced to 10 years, and he was released in six. Hmm. Wow. And from what I understand, he went to, and I'm not going to mention his name because I'm not going to do that. Uh, he went to, to California. Uh, he committed mm-hmm. another crime again, similar to yep. this, and he was again yep. arrested and put in prison. Um, he served yep. a short sentence, and from what I understand, he got out and did it a third time. Is that right? You to, know, to I, I don't know about a third time, but I do know that in 2000 and the last time I've heard of him, was in um, 2010 when he reoffended. And so some silver lining is that when he reoffended, then he was required to put himself on the registry. And so he is on the sex offender registry, whereas from 1991 until 2010, he wasn't. And he was kind of grandfathered in because Megan's law didn't go into effect until 91. And so um, just a protection for community and people knowing that there are there are unfortunately um, people out there that cause these kinds of atrocious harms onto other humans, especially our most vulnerable population. Every single one of us is a child and was a child. And um, our upbringing, it fuels and informs who we are as adults. And that impact, you know, it's, I know for me, I've worked very, very intentionally to do good with my story and to and to try and pay forward um, all of the gifts that I have been provided with in terms of um, just sharing a greater message and what's possible. So uh, it's, it's, I, I just pray and hope that other victims um, can speak out and seek up and um, not and own their stories as well so that they can find the healing that works for them. All right, Lori, we need to take a short break. When we come back, yeah. more with uh, our guest, Lori Poland. Uh, you're listening to The Terry Saul Show with Amanda Smith on 104.3 FM, 1220 AM. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. Welcome back to the Terry Saw Weekend Show. Today we are talking with uh, Lori Poland. She was abducted at three years old in front of her house 37 years ago. And in my uh, 
my other, I guess, career back way then. I was working for the Sheridan Police Department and took the call. And it was a uh, it was a rough call. And I think one of the reasons why it affected me so much, Lori, is because at that particular time, this was in August of 83, <laughs> my son was born in November of 83. So my wife was oh, pregnant yeah. at that time. And I think that for some reason it just it just really hit hard when you realize that, you know yeah. what, that could have been my child. Y- yeah, well, that this is just, this is a real thing that's happening right here, right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It hits a lot uh, It reminds us, like, our, of our, in- we're not invincible, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The gentleman that took, uh, abducted you and, and, and mm-hmm. took off in the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say gentleman because he wasn't. Um, the man, the guy, the way that we discovered him was from your neighbor across the street. Are, are you aware of that story? Yeah. Yeah. So, so my dad's work was directly across the street from us and everybody on our street was also employees of this, of my dad's company. And I mean, it was 1235 in the afternoon and he came up, there were children outside, there were workers outside my, the, the my neighbor, the gentleman you're speaking of. Um, was outside. I mean, there were so many people just in broad daylight, which really speaks to the boldness and kind of the illness of that of what, what truly a, a sick person this man was. Yeah, I like how you said the illness. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, you don't think that things happen like that. You think you're safe in more of a public place in the daylight, mm-hmm. but you see these things happening more and more in those type of scenarios mm-hmm. and situations. That was 37 years ago, Lori. What mm-hmm. what have you done? What what type of, mm-hmm. of I'm not even sure what I'm looking for here. Um, you obviously, you teamed up with the Dr. Krugman. Is that what his name was? Richard Krugman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What what help did your family get for you? At three years you know, old, it's kind um, of hard to figure my, it out. My parents, yeah, go ahead. No, that's what I'm saying. Is at three years oh, old, what kind of help do you get for a three-year-old that's yeah. gone through what you went through? Yeah. You know, I think, so So my answer is very different of versus of compared to what we would do now, compared to what happened in 1983. At culturally, in 1983, you know, oftentimes kids, we did not give as much validity to children. We certainly did not understand and the impacts of trauma on children and how what I call, I call my abduction as along with many others, I call them major attachment disruptions. I, w- I went through a major attachment disruption at a really, really early age. And so for me specifically, I went to a local agency in Denver immediately after my abduction, just a week or two later or actually it was just a couple of weeks later. And I did uh, what was what's now called a forensic interview. I did essentially the equivalent of five therapy sessions with a psychiatrist, but the defense attorney and the prosecutor were behind a two-way mirror, along with Dr. Krugman, who was at that time the videographer, a very prestigious pediatrician that took on being a videographer for these interviews. And those interviews led to my abductor pleading guilty. That was it. I didn't, I I went to a therapist once when I was 11 and that didn't go very well. And I did not go back to a therapist until I was 21. I think for my mom and dad and I, I don't obviously I don't want to speak on behalf of them but I think for them their whole goal was that I was going to live in air quote a normal life and I, I speak a lot about that in my book called I live here um, and they they really just wanted me 
to be a normal girl. And I think that having their child abducted and then returned and found four days later, which is really unheard of and mind-blowing and a miracle, paired with um, the media frenzy that you described earlier, the impact of them wanting to just give me something normal was huge. And so I grew up, you know, with that intent, and and it and it was it was hard from from my perspective now as an adult and as a mom. Obviously, it was hard, but my, I think my parents did a pretty phenomenal job raising me and providing me with as much as they were able. And then in my adult years is when I was able to really do a lot of my own work. And that led me to fulfill my dream that started at eight to be a provider and to be like the, the gentleman, Dr. Jones, who did that forensic interview. I, I was eight years old when I wrote my first journal entry, and I just read a couple years ago when I was researching my book that I wanted to be like him. And so I knew really early on. So I went to graduate school. I became a therapist. I owned a wellness center. I specialize in trauma, marriage and family, and attachment therapy. And then um, Dr. Krugman, the videographer, he became my mentor in graduate school. We continued to have the same conversations about child abuse. Five years ago, he asked if I would help him on a big project, and so we opened the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect. Here we are. <laughs> where, where is that foundation? That's, That's amazing. Where is that foundation located? Yeah, yeah so we're headquartered in, in Colorado, and um, we're a national organization. So we do walks all over the okay. country. Um, their awareness building, it's, it's basically the equivalent of American Heart Association, but for child abuse and neglect. There's nobody else in the world doing what we're doing. And, and there was just a huge gap for fundraising and awareness building for the topic. Child abuse and neglect impacts heart disease, diabetes, cancer, um, obesity, mental illness, substance abuse, all of those things later in life. So we're just trying to be preventative. And it's amazing. It's, I am so honored to do the work that I do. So if somebody wanted to help and contribute to that, how would they go about that? Or if they needed your services, or could you direct us in that direction? Yeah, for sure. So um, if they want to look into the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect, we're also named ENDCAN, because that's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they can go to www.endcan, E-N-D-C-A-N, Org, and there's opportunities to donate. There's opportunities to get involved. There's volunteer. You can post your story. You can be on our podcast. You can listen to our podcast. You can host a walk. You know, there's all sorts of things that people can do uh, in terms of that. And then I have a website at LoriPoland.com. And that's where people can find my book and learn about me. I do public speaking all over the country as well. It's just been so neat to become this woman and really take something tragic and terrible and turn it into something I think is really beautiful. I'm really proud of who I am and what I've done as a mom and a partner and a professional. Laura, we need to take a short break. When we come back, more with Lori Poland, who's our guest today. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group.
We're back in five, four, Q-Terry, two, one, you're on. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We are back. This is The Terry Saul Weekend Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, along with Amanda Smith, and today we are talking with uh, Lori Poland. I met her 37 years ago, and I can't believe it's been 37 years because I don't think I'm that old. <laughs> and uh, she was uh, abducted in front of her house. Lori, did your, did your parents at any point ever want to move out of that area, out of that no. street? Um, so we stayed there for an additional five years after my abduction. Again, I think for them, the whole goal was normalcy. They just wanted so badly to put that behind us and move on and live normal lives. And so, yeah, we stayed. And then my dad, you know, had an opportunity to buy a house on the west side of Denver. And so we moved to the suburb. Uh, we lived there until I moved out. And and then my mom and dad still lived there for a number of years. And, and then they moved to the west coast. But they stayed. You know what, though? There's, there's that that particular area is it's it's God's country. Colorado is just it's such a beautiful area that <laughs> we just loved every, every minute. You have, yeah. you have a brother. You have an older brother. Um, how mm-hmm, did how did this affect him, or did it affect him at all? Um, obviously, the ripple effects of trauma are endless, and they carry on for a lifetime. My brother, for a lot of years, was my number one fan and my number one protector, and he was my very, very, very best friend. I think, again, in the 80s, we did not have an understanding of how trauma can impact other people. I think there was a lot of oversight on my brother. He was five years old and was standing on the porch while I was a you know, at the sidewalk when my abduction happened. Just the, just the impact of that, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. And growing up, I, I can't even tell you how many times I have been told, you know, comments like, you know, your brother lives in your shadow and, and, and by my brother, my parents, you know, like my brother was told, uh, my grandmother said, Jeremy, why did you let your sister get in that car? As though he was mm. responsible and he wasn't, he was a baby. He was right. not even in kindergarten yet. So very, very young. And again, we know what we know. We do what we can with what we have. My brother has is a wonderful father, a wonderful partner. And, you know, he's he's doing his own thing. And, and we're not close anymore because of the work that I do now. And that's okay. That's his journey. And it is very heartbreaking, but it is what it is. And not everybody wants to talk about their childhood. Right. And not everybody sees the value of talking openly about trauma. I'm not saying like, oh yeah, air your dirty laundry, it's great. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that for me, I chose to use my voice and to to take my trauma and use it for what I've seen as the good for the greater good. That's been a big sacrifice because it has really shifted my relationship with my immediate family. And that's probably been harder <laughs> in some ways than the abduction itself. You know, it's a completely different kind of abandonment and and loss. And I talk a lot about that in my book and how once trauma ends, it doesn't ever end. You live with it forever. It's like a tattoo. How how was growing up, I mean, you you became an instant, your name, everybody Mm -hmm. in Colorado back then knew who Lori Pollan was. And that picture, uh, I, I could still see that picture that they used to flash up on 
the, the, yeah. the TV there. How did that affect you going to school? You went to a regular schools yeah. and stuff. Did people say, well, you're Lori Poland. All right, I know who you are. Yeah. Did you get that at yeah. all? Yeah. You know, um, it wasn't until Robert, or my abductor, was released from prison in 1990. He was up for parole. I had essentially forgotten about it. And our when we had moved, nobody in our community really knew. And then, or, or they just didn't really talk openly about it. And then when the media came back into our lives at his parole, it was, it was nonstop. And for a, a good couple of years, it was really, really rough. You know, just the, the, the lack of understanding, I think, from kids. They've, all they saw me was a girl that lived in the toilet. And to them, that was disgusting, understandably, right? And so they weren't as um, supportive and, <laughs> like, loving. But then, you know, I just had to find my own way. That was, uh, that's what I did. I just worked on that. And then as I age, it, I, I just continued to try and be myself and kill people with kindness. That was my dad's philosophy. And, and I was able to make a lot of friends. But I, I never, I always struggled belonging. I always felt like an outsider. Um, I was always afraid of being abandoned and left and kicked out of a group. And that happened all the time. Why is it that you chose to talk about this? A lot of people, I would think, would say, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk about this. I don't want anybody to know what happened to me. But you, you went the opposite direction. You're, you're out there and you're telling people this is what um, happened. This is my experience. Why are you... Why are you talking about this? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. I am. Um, yeah, I'm so sorry. So um, I chose to talk about it because I, uh, when I was 15, I did, I went and spoke at a Kiwanis club. There was a woman in the room who was probably in her 70s. She came up to me afterwards with tears in her eyes. And for the first time, disclosed her story. She had said something along the lines of, I wish I had had your courage when I was 15. I wouldn't have had a lifetime of pain if I would have started my healing journey. That the, that exact thing has happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over the span of my life. Every time I do share, even if it's in a small group or a large group or in front of thousands of people, the number of people who are thankful and who also share their story and begin their healing journey just expands. And I, I've been called very selfish and um, like even attention-seeking for talking and I believe me like if I could have just gone into finance and <laughs> just done right. something completely different I probably would have but I I couldn't knowing that I hopefully change lives for the better and empower and encourage people to do the same and um and that's why and and i I knew even coming in to the National Foundation and Child Abuse and Neglect, I knew that I would be sacrificing a few to save many. And the number of lives that I've had the honor of, of hearing their change and their growth and their story and, and them raising their hands saying, we've got to do more when, we, when, we're, when things are in silence. 
that's what perpetrators count on. The, the perpetrators look forward to our shame because it keeps us quiet. And the average age for a woman to tell her child abuse story is 52. Wow. That's a long really? time. Well, I admire. That's far too long. I admire you telling your story and getting out there and trying to help other people. I think it's very brave. Um, It shows a lot of strength. It shows a lot of compassion and care. Um, Mm -hmm. And you are helping other people. And that makes a huge difference because, like you said Mm -hmm. in the first segment, that this is more common than we realize. Um, It's not just a select few that, that these things happen to. And so for you to get out there and share your story it makes other people brave and it makes them realize that they aren't alone and that it's okay to talk about it and to get help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Do you, do you ever dream or have nightmares about any of this or I mean, all the time. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's for me, I've been a huge part of my um, growing process and, as a very small child, I was the sleepwalker, sleep talker, sleep fighter, sleep everything. And even last week, my biggest fear is hurting my family. And um, the very last thing in the world I want to do is cause harm to my mom and my dad and my brother. They've already had enough. And um, and I knew that doing this work, that it, there was the possibility of that. And I also knew in writing my book that there was a possibility of that. And my book really talks about the long-term impact, the disruption that my abduction had on our family and how it just continues to play on. And um, I I think that even just last week, all week long, every night, my poor partner, he would, the next morning, he would say, well, you did it again last night. Every night I would wake him up in the middle of the night and force him to have a conversation with me yeah. about why I shouldn't launch my book. And, and the next morning he'd be like, do you remember? <laughs> he was like, you're quite a saleswoman in the middle of the night. And <laughs> I don't remember any of it at all, but I'm, I've just been so afraid and Afraid because my book also shares a lot of my, you know, my errors and the things that I've done to cope with and find ways of, you know, ignoring or getting through. And, you know, when you put out a memoir, you can't just put out all your wonderful things. And you all, I mean, to me, it's all about being vulnerable and real. And there's a lot of fear that comes with that. Absolutely. We need to take a short break. We come back our final Mm -hmm. segment with uh, Lori Bullen back in just a moment. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. Final few minutes. Today's guest has been uh, Lori Poland. At three years old, she was abducted in front of her house, and uh, 37 years later, she is awesome. I saw you on with Megan Kelly not too long ago. Mm. Uh, yeah. how'd, that, how'd that come about? You know, um, 
I, Dick and I, Dr. Krugman and I started the National Foundation to End Child Abuse and Neglect, and they had heard about it and heard about our connection, and that story of how he was my treating doctor at the time, 32 years before, and or 33 years before, and um, and they wanted to cover the story on the Today Show, and so I've had just the honor of doing that, and I was on Dr. Oz last year and Lifetime Movie Channel last year. So I've just had some really wonderful opportunities to share the message of um, being louder than silence and, um, you know, helping people to see and know that it's possible to speak about your experience without sharing gory details, um, but that we can heal. We can go through horrible things and turn out to be really rad people. And that's my goal. If I can just be a really awesome, rad woman, I've done something. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you think you are? <laughs> I think she I is. Do. I do. I think so, too. My, my kids might say yes, too. <laughs> Which, when you have your kids as vote and they're teenagers, you're like, I, I, wow. You're I doing something it. right. <laughs> do you, yeah, exactly. Do your children know what happened, Lori? Have you told your they, children what they happened? They do. Yeah, all three of them do, and they have very, very early. One thing that happened to me and I would not ever want happen to them is for them to not know before their friends. And um, all of many of their friends as parents grew up in Denver and or know about my story or have seen me doing an interview or in, in a, a public platform. And I've always wanted my children to feel informed and in the loop and in the know. And so they were fairly young when we started talking about stranger danger, body awareness. And most abuse happens by somebody that you know and trust. And so we've been talking really about you know, their ability to use their voice very, very early on. You wrote a book. The book is called I and Live I Here. Um, yeah. And I, I started reading a little bit of some of it. I haven't gotten the whole thing yet, and I can't wait to finish this book. There Was this hard to write? Incredibly. I mean, Terry, I had, I'm such an overachiever, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have this book done in six months, and it's going to be out, and I've had a couple of movie offers over, well, in 2019, right before COVID, I had two different movie offers, and um, and I thought that my book would be done. I needed my book to be done before all of that, and it, it was very hard. <laughs> and it can't, it's come also with, you know, different perceptions. So <laughs> everybody has their own lived experience about what happened. And um, as time goes on, we our, story, our memories change and our experiences of things change. And so for, even within my own immediate family, so much of the details of what happened have changed. And so it meant that I had to go back and get court reports and medical records and clinical notes and videotapes and interviews and all thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of paper. Fortunately, I had, a, there was a lot of record and most survivors don't have that. Most survivors are just telling their story from their own lived experience and what they can recall. And a lot of people forget their trauma until later in life. And then they have memory, um, the memory comes back. And so 
I was very fortunate that I have this ability to go research. And boy, I tell you, it took three years for my book to get done. <laughs> and everybody in my world has been so gracious, including my literary agent and those directors of the films and my regular agent. It's just, I'm very, very, very grateful. But boy, it was a lot of sweat and tears and a lot of fear and also a lot of triumphs. I'm proud of it. The the movie offers that are coming through there, are, is it c complete with your story? Is that what they're looking for, doing your story? Yeah. Are you yeah, okay with it's, that? Um, there's, uh, um, I, that's, that's, uh, it is, we're in conversation again. And so um, I don't know. I, I think there's a plan for everything. And if it all, if it all comes, it will come. I'm, I'm just not going to predict the future. Right. <laughs> we'll see. Wow, um, if that if that should happen, let's let's just fantasize now. If that should happen. Who would you want to play you? <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how many people tell me. Well, if I'm going to be in your movie, can you have this person be me? <laughs> um, it's funny, you know. Honestly, um, Reese Witherspoon and or Julia Roberts. That's they're both funny. thought about That's this. That's funny because <laughs> when we were talking about that, I was thinking yeah. Reese Witherspoon would be a perfect one. She would be perfect, but and I'm and I'm thinking, you know, you, you have to have somebody from the Sheridan Police and to represent moi. Yeah, um, yeah right. Who would so, you want? Well, you know, I I just got through seeing that Maverick movie with uh, with what's his name? Tom uh, Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, okay. we're close I'll to the same sure age. Knows, we're Jerry. close to the same age. Uh, <laughs> or if not, maybe John Cena from the with wrestling thing there, the big buff yeah. guy there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> just yeah. Some, somebody with uh, hair. You know, that's I'll make sure to put that in the notes. There you mm -hmm. go. And so your yeah. book came out two days ago? No, July 9th. Yeah. Her oh, book was released on July 9th. Monday. Which was yeah. my birthday. Oh, okay. All right. That's yeah. right. We talked and about that. How would our listeners go about finding that book if they want to purchase yeah. it and read it? You know, it's on Amazon. Uh, we have paperback, uh, hardcover, and Kindle. And then the um, Audible version should be out at the end of the summer. Boy, is that a process. I had no idea that for every chapter it's like five hours of audio recording. Oh, and wow. you both being in the, in the radio industry, I'm sure you know that each it's so it's so time consuming, and right. I just mm -hmm. had again. I was like, "Oh, I'll have it done in a couple of weeks." Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> and are, are you recording it yourself? I I actually am. Yeah, I think that's I've been really advised good. that that would be wise. So I, I agree. Yeah. I think it puts more of a personal spin on it um, and makes it yeah. more sentimental and relatable um, versus yeah. just being another voice when it's the actual person talking and telling the story. It yeah. it's more um, it's more it hits the heart more. I feel like. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I can just honestly speak really vulnerably for a moment that you know, there's a part in my story where I'm telling, you know, the early years and the experiences with that and um, a relationship that I had with my mom's mom, my my maternal grandmother. And when I was doing my recording for that, it was, um, there was definitely a different inflection in my voice that really felt it as I was recording that audio. And it was really an honor to be able to do that to do all of this and just i feel a little like i should pinch myself right yeah that's awesome 
Lori, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, if, uh, if there's one of our listeners out there who maybe is going through something similar to that or somebody just wants to yeah. talk with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, I, I would say the best way to get, the fastest way to get a hold of me is through the National Foundation and Child Abuse and Neglect. I have an amazing staff that capture every uh, point of contact, and then they we do weekly meetings, and they um, get me uh, in contact with people that are reaching out specifically that want to speak to me. Um, and that is at www.endcan.org, E-N-D-C-A-N for End Child Abuse and Neglect. Um, and we're on every social media platform, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. I don't even know. There's probably <laughs> others out there. But um, we're on all of those. We have people that monitor and manage those on a regular basis and they are so great. I wouldn't, I would, there's no way I could do what I do without the help of a lot of really, really wonderful people. That's awesome. Lori, it's been uh, 37 years since I met mm-hmm. you and we are just about out of time there. Thank you. We've done these interviews. Yeah. This is our third interview now and I hope you'll let yeah. us come back in and chat again sometime down the road. I wish you all the best and uh, Thank you. you know, just, um, we love what you're doing. We do. So keep doing it. Besides what other people say, um, you are making a difference. That I promise. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much. Gary, one of these days I'm going to see you in person, and and you're going to get a giant hug from me. I'm, a <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I would love that. I'm yeah, let's that. make that happen. All righty.